the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. We are back and we're thrilled to be back. I hope you missed us as much as we missed you. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, once again, post-vacation live. Uh, And all we need is you to call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions, and we've had a bunch of them emailed in, so that's good. But you can email by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest um, way to call is to use the hands-free feature in your phone uh, and the KSLR app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. It really is good to be back. Now, I may stumble around, and I don't even remember how to do the radio program. It's been now two weeks uh, since the last one, and um, I hope you enjoyed the parenting series if you tuned in while we were gone. Uh, We had a great vacation. We thank you so very, very much. So many of you have let us know that you were praying for us, and that means a lot, so we're grateful. Uh, Now it's just time to get back to work. Got back, preached on Sunday, and then we had uh, a busy week already planned, so uh, we're ready to get back into the flow of things, and we would love your live calls and questions. Let's start with a couple of questions that were emailed in to us just today. Uh, This one is anonymous from our email inbox, Um, and he says a comment, and he wants my thoughts. I've noticed that in today's Christian culture, most pastors, preachers, and teachers lean on and rely on the delivery and style of a message rather than just delivering the message itself. This is despite Paul giving us the example to do otherwise, walk the walk and preach the word in 2 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. Can I have your thoughts, please? Uh, It's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to read that to you in a moment. Uh, But something just came into mind. I forgot to do it. This is how out of practice I am with this. Uh, I want all of you. Men, women alike, it doesn't matter. Our Sweet Summer Devotion series continued last night. And the message that Michelle Adams gave last night was absolutely spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Please go to calvaryessay.com and listen to it. Um, You will be blessed abundantly so. And you'll really learn what God is doing through the Sweet Summer Devotion series. Michelle uh, was open. She was honest. uh, She was clear. Uh, There wasn't a dry eye in the room last night, Paula tells me, and lots and lots of people coming forward in tears for prayer. Um, It it was spectacular. I got a chance. I didn't think I'd get a chance to listen today, but I did. And uh, man, she did a great job. So I'm sorry, Anonymous, for butting in, but if I didn't remember that right then, I was probably going to forget it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 
um, beginning in verse, I'm going to go back to verse 1. Um, it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, Anonymous, I call this the kiss, the keep it simple. Stupid Paula doesn't like when I say that. She goes, no, it's keep it simple, sweetie. But this really is, as you point out in your comment, um, that the way every single one of us who has been given this wonderful responsibility to proclaim God's word, this is how we ought to go into the pulpit every single time, with no exceptions. When Jesus was getting ready to die, um, uh, some Greeks came to see him. They said, uh, sir, I'm going to use King James, sir, we would see Jesus. And I've long said that ought to be on every pulpit. We would see Jesus instead of seeing a pastor. Now, i got a lot to talk about on this, so uh, until we get some phone calls, uh, bear with my rambling for just a moment. We have a phone call, so I'll try to keep it short. Um, uh, in the American church culture, style is king. Style is king. And, and I'm, it's a tragedy that it is, but it is. We want the man that's going to move us emotionally. We want the man that's going to, to bring us to tears or the man that's going to scream and yell at us and tell funny stories. We like style, but that is absolutely not at all what Paul is talking about here. Paul, who was brilliant, he chose to veil all of that just so that he could present the gospel in all of its uncluttered beauty. And that's what he says. I wasn't worried about style. I wasn't worried about this. And you're right in your comment that we have an emphasis on style. There's a lot of people that are wonderful communicators, but at the same time, uh, they're really not paying attention to the word. Um, we realize in some cases that uh, um, they're manipulating people emotionally. Uh, and and I, I just don't think it should. So my thoughts are, I agree with you. Now, I'm blessed, Anonymous, and by that I mean I don't have a style. I used to really worry about that as a brand new preacher, somebody called to, to teach the Word. I used to say, well, some people do it so much better than I do, and, and they have a style, and I don't have any style. And I remember the Lord speaking to my heart. He says, I didn't call you because of style. And he used an example of a man that I'd been listening to who God did pretty good things through. And I remember my initial comment hearing is, well, wow, this guy's kind of boring. And that, of course, was my pastor, Chuck Smith, when I became a Calvary Chapel pastor. And yeah, God used him pretty marvelously. So my comment is simple. I agree 100% with you. And I, I think that's driven by the culture we live in. It's driven by sort of the consumer mentality. We want to be... Um, influenced. Uh, we want to be moved. And um, I think it shows a lack of faith in the Word of God itself. So, Anonymous, I agree with you completely, and I think it is a sad thing that we did that. Okay, let's go to our phone caller, Ron from San Antonio on line one. Ron, thanks for holding her on the air. No, not a problem holding. Good to hear from you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Rested. Oh, yeah, me too. I do have um, a, a quick question, but I just wanted to make something just for fun here. I do have one minor confession. I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was waiting for my response, and um, I fell asleep listening to the program. I, had, <laughs> I, I, I was I was even waiting for my own answer to come back, and um, yeah, I had worked a double the day before, and then five hours of sleep before I started my next eight-hour shift. And when I came home that day, it was like I was in my happy place at home, AC. It was you and Mama Paula, and it was like just so tranquil. I fell asleep on my own <laughs> question. <laughs> Ron, the, the <laughs> truth is, Ron, is I, I put a lot of really good people to sleep over the 26 years I've been doing this, so it's okay. 
Thank you. Well, this was a good sleep, and I did work a double the night before, and it was like, oh, my, it, it was just, it's just peaceful, really. It truly is to hear your voice and your and your, your response to your to your flock out here, in the, out here in the, in the city. But I have a question that uh, involves the various interpretations of the Bible, such as NIV, King James, Standard, and such. Uh, just this morning, I was listening to a preacher, and um, he mentioned, um, he made it quite clear, it doesn't sound like you're going to lose your salvation over this, but he didn't like the idea that I think it was a standard relation to um, King James, when it talked about, uh, it was, I believe it was in Luke, I'm not 100%, it was, um, they were talking about the virgin birth. And it refers to the in this interpretation of this particular Bible. I think it's a new standard. There's so many because mm-hmm. I tend to stay with. I was with NIV for the longest, and I'm back to um, King James. It refers to her as a young woman, and he said that that was way wrong. That was a uh, it was misleading people. Um, this was not King James. I don't think he didn't mention NIV. It was early in the morning, so I'm getting ready yeah. to work. I'm having coffee, and the radio's going, and this, that, and the other. And it was very, very interesting when he said that that was, that was very wrong of the interpretation of this particular Bible. Yeah. Um, he said, did you follow this? It was meant to mislead people. And I've had another friend who's a very, very devout Southern Baptist, and he is strictly King James, and mm-hmm. only King James. He will almost denounce any other interpretation, including the NIV, and he says, well, I guess that's better than nothing. Uh, I just wanted to, what is your take on that particular um, reference? It references, the, the, and I don't worship her. There's only one way, you know, that's, we both know, and we all know it's Jesus Christ. She had a noble role. It refers to her as a young woman, but I know in the King James, it's the, the it was a, a virgin birth. Mm-hmm. And that's what they kind of yeah. alluded away from. So, yeah. just, Ron, I'll, it's you're, you're right. Okay, thank you, Ron. It is problematic, and and uh, I'm not sure which version you're talking about, but most of the 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 credible versions uh, uh, translate that as virgin, uh, understanding that it's a fulfillment of of Old Testament prophecy. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he would have been born with a sinful nature. If he was born with a sinful nature, we'd be all lost. So so your friend is is uh, 100% right. This is an essential of our historic Christian faith. And in fact, if, if um, um, somebody is proclaiming otherwise, then um, then that that trips over into full blown heresy. Now, a couple of things: um, uh, the argument that progressive Christians will use, "Oh, a virgin can't have a child; she didn't have to be a virgin." They'll say that the word in Hebrew can mean a young maiden or a young woman, and it's true they can. Now, here's the problem: if you go into the New Testament which was, of course, written in Greek, they use a word, a specific word, parthenos, and it means that they, it means what we would understand a virgin to be, a woman who has never had sexual relations with a man. Uh, it sounds to me like you might be listening to the Passion Translation, which is the worst Bible translation I have ever seen. Um, um, uh, and, and if it's not the Passion Translation, I'm unfamiliar with, with any other that, that would have been used. But to translate virgin into a young maiden uh, is a mistranslation of the Greek. And the Greek makes it really clear this is a reference to a woman who has never had sexual relationships with a man. And Mary, of course, was pure and uh, available to be used by God in this glorious way. But uh, that is um, uh, a disastrous, uh, heretical interpretation uh, passing itself off as a translation in that case. So you're right. Your friend is right. Uh, stick with the translations that you're comfortable with. The King James is a wonderful translation. The New King James uh, is a great translation. The 1984 NIV is a great translation. Uh, that's what I use here to teach from. Um, the problem with the NIV is it getting harder and harder to find in the 84 edition. The 2011 uh, is just horrible. 
Um, so I, I don't like that at all. Uh, but most of the translations are going to translate that as a virgin, and anything to the contrary, Ron, is unacceptable. So good point. Thank you for pointing that out. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Scott from our email inbox. Uh, in your sermon on Sunday, you said that we are in the last hours of the last days. What do you mean by that? Are you saying that the tribulation is coming very soon? Uh, Scott, I say that a lot. Um, you know, we've heard that we're in the last days. The last days uh, technically mean the days from Jesus' ascension into heaven uh, after his death and resurrection uh, until the day that Jesus returns. Uh, to this earth, those are called the last days, and that includes the Great Tribulation. And we hear it so often, when I say we're in the last hours of the last days, my whole point is to communicate that the time is very, very short. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming for his church soon. Uh, That is the last thing prophetically that will happen before the Great Tribulation begins. And uh, all you have to do is look around the world that we live in, not just the United States, but look at the world that we live in. And you can see that all of the signs of the end, Second Timothy chapter 3, the first uh, four verses, um, you can go into the Old Testament prophetic scriptures uh, and see uh, that, that the signs uh, that, that uh, are being spoken of are all around us. You can see um, by acknowledging that we live in a world that calls good evil and evil good that we're in the last days. Um, you know, if I had been given some message from heaven that said, okay, I'm going to come back at this day and this time, uh, and, and uh, of course, we could be ready for it, but we know that nobody knows the, the day or the hour. But we're also exhorted by Jesus to look around at the season, look at the signs all around us. And uh, all you have to do is look at the world that we live in, look at the complete and utter evil that that the world is trying to push off on the rest of the people, and uh, we we know we're we're in the very last hours. My point, Scott, is a simple one: Jesus is coming soon, and we Christians have got to be ready. And the way we're ready is to get right with God, to stay right with God, to pursue personal holiness, and then, most importantly, then share our Jesus with the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. And so that's what I mean, and I'm going to keep saying that because he's coming soon. Now, people say, just like Peter pointed out, well, where are the scoffers who say that where is this this coming that you keep talking about? Things go on as they always have. We've been saying, the church has been saying from the Apostle Paul forward that Jesus is coming back soon for 2,000 years, and he hasn't come. And Peter points out that God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's patient, unwilling that any should perish. We know from the, the Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 11 that there is a finite number of non-Jews, Gentiles, who are going to be saved. That number is counting down. And we can also look at the world around us and see how it's progressing the way it is. I mean, we live in a time, Scott, where... Um, um, the, the falling away has already begun. The, the, the apostasy of churches, professing Christian churches, are throwing away the word of God. The question that Ron just called in, professing Christian churches, saying that Jesus was a, or, or that Jesus' mother Mary was a young maid and not a virgin, doesn't have to mean virgin. That's the falling away that we see. And we see churches all over turning completely away from the Bible. They'll tell stories, they'll, they'll talk about the truths contained in the Bible, but, but they won't literally believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And so what we've got to understand is these are all signs of the end, and we all of us need to be ready. Now, another quick word. We don't have anybody on the phone waiting right this second. So um, uh, w- when I get back from vacation, uh, one of the things I like to do is take a break in our regular verse-by-verse study through a book. This Sunday, we're returning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're talking very specifically about the gifts of the Spirit. But that Sunday that I come back, I've had a couple of weeks to spend with the Lord, and Paula has been reading to me, and we've been talking, and the Holy Spirit hopefully has been moving on our hearts. And um, um, he always gives me something to share with the church. And the urgency of the hour 
the way God views the world that we live in. The remedy for the evil in this world. I cannot tell you. I mean, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, uh, has all the evil in the world just like everywhere else. But when we spend almost two weeks in California and you see the condition of people's lives and you see the pressure to accept evil and perversion as normal and approve, not only approve it, but affirm it. And you see the pressure. We've lived through a 15-month or so period of time where churches have been persecuted, not like martyrs have been persecuted in other parts of the world, but, but you saw the effort that this country made to shut down churches, to quiet the word of God. We're living in a time like no other in our history. And what I wanted to communicate to our church uh, yesterday, or on Sunday rather, was um, we got to toughen up. We got to stop complaining about being oppressed. And we got to just understand that that they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. And that's got to be okay with us. We got to decide, are we in for Jesus? Are we in for the world? We can't be in both places. We've got to stop thinking that following Jesus is a, a path to riches and health and no problems in the world if you just have enough faith to believe. We've got to understand that we are now in a war. And very clearly, the Lord spoke to my heart and said uh, that I want you to go back and tell Calvary Chapel of San Antonio that I'm not sending you back to San Antonio. I'm sending you back for a war. And we now are in a war. We've known it. But the Lord was really, really clear. So, Scott, that was my intent with the message yesterday. We are truly in the last hours of the last days, and we need that sense of urgency uh, to sink deep in our hearts in these last days. There are people that you love, people that you're praying for every day who are dying and going to hell. And we've got to be bold, active, Paul says to Philemon, in sharing our faith. He goes one step further and says, if you're not active in sharing your faith, you don't understand the good thing that we have in this gospel of Christ. So we've got to get busy. We've got to tell people who he is. We've got to tell people how to be saved. We've got to pray for people. But we've also got to be active in winning the loss to Christ. We'll get yelled at. People will dislike us. The reality, however is that none of that should matter. We've got work to do in these last hours of these last days. We've got work to do for the glory of God. Thank you. I appreciate the question, Scott, very, very much. We've got about four minutes left, so let me get to a question. Here is a question from Jeffrey. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you have any thoughts on this week's Southern Baptist Convention? Do you think they will deal with serious issues? Now, obviously, Jeffrey, I apologize for taking so long to get this question. This question came before our vacation. Uh, the Southern Baptists uh, were involved in their convention. Uh, so um, um, I have a little bit of hindsight on it now. Um, they did not deal with serious issues. They didn't deal with the issues of, of sexual abuse or child abuse in their churches. They didn't deal with, uh, I think, the prevailing cancer uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention. That is the battle between Calvinism and uh, and, and non-Calvinists, all of whom call themselves Baptists. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Uh, they elected a new uh, uh, convention president, um, who is uh, sort of a middle-of-the-road person. They had options. Uh, there, there was a candidate, a serious candidate, uh, who, who wanted to, to, to get back to basics and fundamentals, and, and uh, he almost won the vote, but in the end he lost uh, just uh, uh, by, by a, a little bit. Uh, and surprised everybody. It shows you that, that there are serious Southern Baptists who want to get back to the Word of God. They want to break away from the the uh, the uh, the Calvinist wing that has taken over the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, so um, they just chose not to. They chose the status quo. Um, it's sad. It's sad. Uh, the largest denomination in our nation... Uh, and they can't decide who they are. 
and and you know Jeffrey, I've said before when a when a, an organization loses its identity, um, then it's losing its position of preeminence. It's that simple. Uh, they they will slowly fade away. Uh, I am hopeful that the conservative um, element in the uh, SBC uh, will press on. Uh, I hope that the battle against the Calvinist doctrines uh, that are now so dominant in the SBC uh, will will uh, will they'll continue to fight. Um, but um, it doesn't look like they really dealt with the serious issues, and uh, I, I think to their shame, um, they didn't. Now there's lots of wonderful Southern Baptist churches, um, but as a convention. They didn't do the one thing they needed to do, and that's decide who they are. And um, sort of the good old boy network sort of won out. And that's really a tragedy. Thank you for the question, Jeffrey. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our first program back post-vacation. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your calls. Um, it's how you'd show me that you missed me. That's shameless, isn't it? Hey, I, I do have some information. I have a research department here, believe it or not. And uh, we found the two translations that refer to um, other than a virgin. Luke one twenty seven. the Good News translation says, A young woman promised in marriage. Now, how heretical is that? The Weymouth uh, New Testament says, To a maiden. And those are the only ones that we could find. The only translations we could find that referred to anything other than a virgin. So you can automatically disqualify those two. Uh, it was not the Passion Translation, although I'm sure the Passion Translation, uh, I don't have a copy of here, uh, also um, refers to it in, a, in a, or to Jesus and Mary's virgin birth as a, in a heretical position. So I um, hope that helps answer your question. That was for you, Ron. Okay, here's a question from Michelle. She says, Pastor Ron, would you share your biggest struggles as a new Christian? Um, Michelle, I'm, I've been saved now for 30 years, uh, and, and I think my biggest struggles are, were the same then as they are now. My flesh, I hate my flesh. I just absolutely hate it. My flesh wants to, to, to be gratified. Uh, Jesus wants me to kill my flesh, and my flesh still wants what my flesh wants. I feel like the Apostle Paul sometimes in that struggle, a wretched man that I am. Why? Because what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Um, so so my, my struggle with my flesh has always been uh, the biggest struggle that I have. But specifically, as a new Christian all those years ago, Michelle, um, I think my biggest struggle was was simply doubt. Uh, you know, uh, um, the enemy's attacking. Um, we're saved by grace through faith, and anything and everything that they can do, the enemy can do to 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 damage your faith. He's going to take those shots. Uh, I also had a um, a struggle with um, the differences in the messaging. Um, one one message would would say God wants me to be rich and wants me to be healthy and if I if I'm not then I just don't have enough faith. Another message would say, well that's not true and 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 I had a real struggle. It it was painful uh, emotionally. It was painful uh, when when I'd get those mixed messages and one one would call the other a false teacher and. And and I, I just had to learn to deal with it. And the way to deal with it, Michelle, for me, was just to get to know the Word myself. 
And so that's what I did. So those were my biggest struggles. My life, Michelle, when I got saved was, uh, I mean, I couldn't have been in a worse place. Uh, Paul and I had been very, very wealthy. I'd been very successful in business. Um, my life fell apart. I lost a fortune gambling, and and, and my life just fell apart. Um, and um, I, I didn't know how to deal with the world anymore. I, I knew that I met Jesus. I couldn't respond to things the way I used to, um, but I didn't know what it was. So it was just sort of that that transition process from... Uh, being in the world and knowing what to do in my flesh and then having to kill my flesh and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. So I think those are my biggest struggles. But I look back uh, 30 years later, Michelle, and um, every one of those struggles was absolutely vital in making me the man I am today. Um when I struggled, and, and struggling with Jesus is a good thing. When I struggled, I would seek answers, and he would give me the answers, and when I would, would implement those answers in my life, things got better. I realized, finally, that I was never alone again. I would never have to go through another crisis on my own. That Jesus was there with me. And so I, 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 those struggles created the, the Christian that I am today. I'll say one final thing. Um, I struggled with, with being able to accept God's love at first. Uh, I had done so many horrible things that um, I just couldn't believe God could love me. I didn't love me. Um, I was so ashamed of myself. And I really had to get to that place where I accepted God's love. And the Holy Spirit did that work for me. All I had to do was be willing to receive it. So uh, I, I, it doesn't sound to me like that would really help you. But those were my struggles back then. And then, of course, the one that continues, Michelle, is the struggle with my flesh every day. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Roy. Oh, got a phone call. Good, good, good. Got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Welcome back. Hi. I'm so thank glad you. you guys are back. <laughs> you know, every time you well, first, I had no idea how much I would miss the live show. Um, <laughs> I didn't listen to the the, the radio, the uh, program teaching. It wasn't really you know something in in my wheelhouse at this time and. Mm. So I thought I'd find these other projects to do, which I really didn't get hardly anything done. So I was just, I, I was really surprised at how much I really, really missed it. <laughs> and the other thing is, I think... Well, let, me interrupt, really let me interrupt you, Cindy, let me interrupt you, because that, that makes me feel good. So thank you for missing me. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you how much I missed <laughs> it. After the first... It was like, I, I really was like, wow, I really missed this. <laughs> but anyways, I think you have a really good style. I, I can listen to you all day long. It's like watching golf. I can watch a golf tournament and never get tired of it. <laughs> and I really like it that you don't do the jumpy, uppy, downy, yelly, screamy thing. <laughs> I, I can't get anything out of that. So you, you've got a really good style, and it's very endearing and and very sure-footed. That's what it is. It's very sure-footed, and, and I know I can listen to it and, you know, and, and, like, take it to the bank because it's true. But anyways, what I was wondering about, did the Garden of Eden have a boundary? Because I, I kind of thought that why wouldn't the whole earth be the Garden of Eden, being beings God created it, and, and it would have been blessed. And so I thought that maybe that when they had to leave the Garden of Eden and the angel, you know, closed the entrance, that it was like a like a portal in a way, you know, that, that you'd be able to walk to, and then you couldn't walk in there. Although it didn't have boundaries, you just couldn't walk in the entrance. So that's what was floating around in my head while you were gone, and I've been waiting and waiting to call <laughs> and ask you about it. <laughs> so Thank you, Cindy. Back. Yes, you're very missed. I'll get oh, off the thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, a couple of things. You know, I, I don't think, I've, I've been doing this for 26 years, I've never raised my voice at the pulpit. Now, I've got one of those voices, you know, we got people in our church with, I call them bionic voices. If I, the, the louder I try to talk, the harder it is to hear me. And so I just never raised my voice. I always felt like 
I'd be misrepresenting Jesus if I yelled at people or if I raised my voice. I can just see Jesus. These I love these people. Don't yell at my people. I love them. So thank you for pointing that out, Cindy. Um, with regard to the garden, uh, the world, the whole world was a garden. Eden was a very specific place, and it was the home of the tree of life. So they stayed by the tree of life. It was God's intention for them to eat the fruit from the tree of life and and live forever. That was the whole purpose of putting it in there. And you will remember that when they were expelled from the garden, from their home, um, I I think that's a good indication we're all supposed to have a home, a home base. But uh, when they were expelled from the garden, there was an angel, a a cherub with a flaming sword uh, to protect the tree of life because God simply couldn't let anybody eat from the tree of life and live forever in this decaying condition of sin. Uh, and so they they were expelled and they didn't have a choice in the matter. So the whole world was a garden. It was pristine. It was perfect. It was beautiful. Uh, but when sin entered the world, all of that changed. The ground would no longer produce on its own. It would have to be worked. Um, um, it would be hard work. Uh, there would be um, destructive elements that were introduced. Uh, when 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 the curse came in, uh, all of that changed. So um, they couldn't go back. You know, Cindy, for me now, just for me, I've always thought about uh, Adam as a parent. And And, you know, we don't know how old Cain and Abel were. You know, we always say, well, Cain killed Abel, and we think of them as, as young men. But but we don't know that. They could have been 100 years old when we were expelled from the garden. We we don't we just don't know uh, how old they were. Um, but I wonder, as those boys were growing up, how many times Adam would have brought them back to home? They couldn't eat from the tree of life, but he would have brought them back to home to the edge as far as he was permitted to take them. And he would tell them the stories. This is where I used to walk in the cool of the garden with with God, my Father. This is where he would call my name, where we had such sweet fellowship, where we, we were completely naked, but we didn't realize it because the glory of God covered us. And he would tell his sons that story uh, over and over so that they could uh, understand how good God is in spite of the difficulties that they were now living through. And uh, one of the sons evidently got it, and one of the sons did not. But uh, what a what a family retreat that would have been uh, to go maybe every year to the garden and say, this is where we used to live. This was what it was like before I messed up. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Let's go to line two, talk with Jeff from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. So glad to have you back, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, but have to say that that uh, your your parents series was just wonderful. And uh, oh, I wanted to you. ask you, wh- what year did you record that? I couldn't figure out if that was like ten years ago or actually even longer ago. Jeff, uh, my my guess is it was it was about ten years ago, but I don't know for sure. Um, but we've never taken it down because it gets constant use. And and uh, I've had some really nice comments while we were gone, uh, people thanking us for it. So it is available for anybody that wants to listen at calvaryessay.com um, for free. All you got to do is go there. And um, uh, it's been a, a blessing to a lot of people. So I'm thrilled. Yeah, it was just wonderful to hear that. Um, I didn't get to... to uh services last night just because of weather and i was on call at work but i listened to everything this morning and uh i just was so blessed by michelle adams testimony i can't oh. wait to meet her and her husband joshua oh. and uh just just and i understand why they call it sweet summer devotionals now just you know <laughs> you know and it, one after another and amber's testimony you know a couple weeks ago too the same yeah. thing but michelle just had when she started to pray in her native language at the beginning and then prayed in English and then just shared about her family and everything. But I wanted you to comment on something that she said that really, really put a finger on, on me, not now, but in the past, she talked about how, how her husband, Josh would love to read, love to read books and he would read Christian books, but he was not in Bible. 
And, <laughs> and, and, and how she said, you know, I felt convicted. The Holy Spirit told me to say something to him, you know. You need to be reading the Bible. Put that other stuff down. And even to the point where she even said, you know, uh, are you sure that you're even saved? And mm-hmm. and, I, and I've known a whole lot of people, including myself, not anymore, thankfully, that would would choose to read a Christian topic or read, you know, there's yeah. there's just so much great stuff out there. Fine, that's great, but you got to balance it. And and there's nothing more there's nothing more rewarding. There's no other book on the planet that can give to you what the Bible gives to you. And um, I just was so uh, encouraged by that. And I also heard, you know, uh, Pastor Ken's Bible study, which I sorely missed last night, but. Uh, he also commented, too, he said, you know, if you don't have the Word in your heart, if you're not studying and looking yourself to find the proof that this is the inerrant Word of God, then eventually your your faith is going to fail. I mean, it, faith will fail you, I mean, because you won't have it. You won't be able to recall anything. So just want you to comment on that, and, and uh, you know, that's all. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Love you. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. You know, uh, on Sunday, I'm going to be one of the gifts of, or the the, the uh, gifts of the spirit that we're going to talk about is the discerning of spirits. And Jeff, if you are not in the Word, you have no ability to discern whether something is from God or something isn't from God. I'll give you an example. The the, the biggest for years. I don't think it is any longer, but for years, especially to women, that's the primary audience. Um, the book Jesus Calling. Uh, by a, an author, last name is Young, Sarah Young, I think is her name, uh, was by far, by far, the biggest selling uh, Christian book. And and women were buying it in droves. It is awful. It's horrible. There's absolutely no discernment because they're not reading the Word. And, and what I was moved by with Michelle's message, or, among other things, was uh, the... the um, uh, idea that that she would she would take those steps of faith and and what a brave girl she was to be able to go to people and say uh, to her husband to say you know god told me he wants you just to read the bible uh, i remember that was a, a battle in in mine and paula's life um, you know christian books make us feel good Christian books are designed to tug at our emotions. I mean, you can't turn on a Christian radio program without them selling some latest book by the author, the the book that's going to make make your life better and your family's going to come back and, and all that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember telling Paula, Paula, put the books down and just read the word. And now Paula reads the Bible more than almost anybody I know. And, and, and you know, there's time if you love somebody, you've got to tell them that. And Michelle, uh, as a fairly new believer at that point, uh, was really bold in her faith. And I absolutely love that. I really did. And Jeff, I too uh, was caught a, a little bit off guard when she began praying in Tagalog, uh, her native language, at the beginning. Um, but it blessed me. Uh, it, it was just just wonderful. And uh, again, I want to thank Jeff for giving me the opportunity to, to once again recommend that everybody goes to calvaryessay.com and listens to the message that Michelle gave. It was God-honoring. Um, uh, she accepted responsibility for uh, the, the issues that were going on in, in her life, in their marriage, and as a parent. Um, um, just, I, I was just completely moved, and uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you for the call, Jeff. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Roy. Uh, he says, "Because someone is chosen or elect, does it mean that some people will be saved against their will because they were chosen?" Um, Roy, great question. It would seem that way if you if you have a Calvinist worldview or a, a Calvinist view of the Bible. Uh, it would seem like God chooses you for salvation, chooses you for hell, and you don't have any choice in the matter. But that, of course, isn't true. Um, um, God chooses according to foreknowledge, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the basis of God's election or choice of us is his foreknowledge. 
So God only chooses people he knows are going to choose him back. It would be silly of God to choose somebody who's going to reject him. God said, oops, I goofed on that one. Well, God can't goof. So uh, when someone is chosen uh, or when they're called the elect, then all that means is that uh, they are going to choose to surrender their life to Jesus Christ, accept the forgiveness of sins, and live forever. So it won't be against their will. God never violates our free will. Now, as was the case with me, Roy, um, God chose me from before the foundations of the world, and he waited a long time for me. He was very patient with me, and he chased me relentlessly, and no matter how hard I resisted, no matter how many horrible things that I did, and this is the beauty of Romans 8.29, I couldn't make God change his mind about loving me. And so he made my life difficult. That was part of my journey. He made my life difficult. I would do something that I thought would work, and it wouldn't work. I would get in a mess and try to fix it. I was always able to get out of the messes that I made. Suddenly, as I got closer and closer, as Paula began to, to pray for me in earnest, uh, I, I, I couldn't fix anything anymore. And I had to get to that place. I was so prideful. I had to get to that place where I was absolutely desperate. And he was there to meet me when I got to that low place of desperation. And he extended a hand to me. He didn't condemn me. He just extended a hand to me. He picked me off off that public street, and we've been walking together ever since. But never against somebody's will. So somebody says, well, I'm chosen. Um, It's not because God made them come to heaven. Uh, It's that at some point they surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ. Great question. Here is an anonymous question. I am an addict who got saved. Good for you. That's my insertion. Uh, Will I always be an addict? I've been going to a recovery group that says once an addict, always an addict. Anonymous, you have hit one of my absolutely pet peeves. Uh, when it comes to recovery groups and and the, the tragedy I see of church um, um, culture embracing these recovery groups. Um, you know, the one thing about uh, AA, NA, GA, or any A that you want to uh, mention is that they're 12-step groups. And if you're going to be successful, you've got to remember that you're always one missed meeting away from being an addict all over again. Once an addict, always an addict. You're powerless. This has control over you. And and that is absolutely contrary to what the Bible says. So here's what I'm going to convince you to try to convince you to do. I'm going to convince you to get out of a recovery group and go to church. Get serving in church. Be with Jesus because he's a one-step Jesus. He's not a 12-step Jesus. Our Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The, 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 the new has come and the old is gone. And if that's true, then you're no longer an addict. Paul even says, when I, I find this law at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but it's sin living in me. Now, I want to be clear. We still struggle with a sin nature. And physical addictions, mental or emotional addictions are difficult. But Jesus is there for you. And you can try to drudge up the pain of the past, which is what they do in these AA meetings or NA or GA, and I've had experience in them. Um, But they're trying to convince you that what the Bible says isn't true. They want you to depend on them and whatever higher power you choose rather than simply saying, this is what the Word says, I believe what the Word says, and so I'm going to receive that by faith. That's how important all of this really is. So uh, I was in a, I mean, I was a brand new Christian. Actually, this is before I was a Christian when I went to Gamblers Anonymous. Um, I did it, by the way. My my motive was I knew that people would sympathize with me. Uh, A whole bunch of things that I was guilty of were going to come out and I thought well maybe my wife won't leave me if if um, if she if she knows I'm working hard and I'm a victim and, and all of those things 
As soon as I went to those meetings, I realized that it was a scam. Now, any program is better than no program at all. But for the believer, these programs are antithetical to what the Bible teaches about what the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross has done for us. So that's really important. So Anonymous, please, please, please open your Bible, spend time with Jesus, get involved in your uh, local healthy church, and let Jesus walk with you in that path of healing. So these are not good things. I, I, I realize I anger people every time I say that. Well, it worked for me. It worked for my family. It worked. Again, everything works for a little bit. But Jesus is a one-step Jesus. And we've got to realize that. Let me say a word to some of you who are struggling with addictions. As soon as you give in, the enemy's pressuring you to give in. And the minute you do, then he's going to condemn you with all the power he has. If you have failed in your recovery, just tell Jesus, I blew it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and accept the forgiveness. I've got a man that I'm praying for now in church who is doing well for a short time and haven't seen him for a while. And now that I haven't seen him, I'm worried about him. That describes anybody in this audience. Just tell Jesus that you're sorry and you want to get back together with him. His arms are wide open. Hey, thanks for tuning in on our first program back. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.